not, uh, not giving biblical truth about it uh, to, to anyone, much less our younger people. And therefore, we're in a, in, a, in a horrible dilemma and have been for quite some time in, in our nation. I know you say, what are you talking about? Well, I'm not going to tell you. But uh, no, I'll tell you here in a minute. But I want you to at least be like, it was a little 12-year-old boy. He was, he was in church. And he may have been a little bit younger, maybe 10 or 11. But he was in church, and um, he was sitting up there with, it, with by side his mama. And, and the preacher got real intense. And he, he looked and he said, what are we going to do about sin? And that little boy looked at him and said, I don't know. And the preacher didn't hear him, and so the, the preacher said again, folks, what are we going to do about sin? And the little boy said, I don't know. And finally, the preacher said one more time, people, what are we going to do about sin? The little boy just stood up and said, I don't know, they don't know, we don't know. <laughs> now, he didn't know, but at least he is paying attention. <laughs> so I would love for you to at least pay attention today. Amen? I do not want to see your eyelids. I'd like to see some eyeballs, but I know this. I know there are a few that can stay awake with their eyes open. I know that because I sat on the platform in a big church for a long time, and the guy sat just to the right of me. He would sit there, and I'm telling you, he was sound asleep, but he looked like he was awake. And, and I have to admit, I did it one time myself. I was so proud of myself because I'd been working all night and I was there in church and I was awake and I was saying, man, I haven't slept in like a day and a half, and I'm, but I'm awake, I'm awake. And about that time, my head hit the pew in front of me. And I realized I was dreaming that I was awake. So now the fact is, though, as um, I'll just begin this way. Our daughters were instrumental in starting a little counter-movement uh, this past week. Um, and it was to counter the, and, and this is not my terminology, it's kind of what the world and they themselves, kind of this, uh, what they sort of termed the nasty woman's march. And it was through a poem that they had about the nasty woman and and so my daughters created on, on Facebook, they started a, a counter-movement called a I Am a Cherished Lady. To say that we, there's a lot of ladies out here that we don't, we don't hate men. We don't hate people. We don't hate our life. Now sadly, there's a great number of women in America that are full of hate and rebellion. It's pretty obvious from watching just a portion of that march. And have some been hurt? Yes. And it's sad that they were, they've been hurt. It really has. My wife and I have done counseling for probably 30-something years. And a lot of that counseling has dealt with people, especially women that have been hurt, been molested, been abused. And it's a very sad thing. But there are some things we need to consider concerning this whole issue of people that have been hurt. 
One, it's, it's not just women that have been hurt. It's not just girls that have been hurt. I mean, the truth is, there's a lot of young men that have been hurt. Another thing to consider is sin is in man caused it, not God. There's a lot of blaming God and blaming religion, but sin in man caused it, not God. Another statement my wife has used for years and years in counseling ladies, if one man is bad does not mean that makes all men bad. And that's what we have to understand. It does not mean every male is bad and going to be abusive. It doesn't mean that. Number three, some were hurt by, by uh, some were hurt, but m- many are stating what they've been taught and indoctrinated to say. They've never really been hurt. But they are parroting what they've heard. Number four, women of America have greater freedom than any other nation in the world. With all our hurts and all our wrongs and all our abuses, we still, if you go to to virtually any other country, you'd be thrilled you're in America. And why is this the case? Because America is largely a Christian nation and was based in Christianity and, and because Christianity teaches a man, true Christianity teaches a man to love his wife and to treat all women with respect and kindness. That's what Christianity truly teaches. That's what we're supposed to do. It's the world that teaches selfishness and hatred. It's the world that teaches a woman to be a man. Forgive me. It's the world that's teaching our women to be men. And the thing that they're not teaching them is that the more she acts like a man, the less she will be treated like a lady. Now, these are just thoughts, but they lead us to the real question of the day and this hard message that I'm going to preach today. And, but I feel the message is essential to our future, to our lives, to our families, to our nation. The question that must be answered and, and sadly, it's not been addressed enough in our churches or in our homes. But here's the question. Is God pro-life? That's the question. You say so-and-so's pro-life or so-and-so's pro-choice. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what so-and-so are. Is God pro-life? The real issue underlying the two different marches that took place was the issue of abortion. abortion. The first group told pro-life women's groups that they were not welcome with them. It was supposed to be a women's march, but but pro-life women were not welcome to march with them, which I'm not sure sure why they would have wanted to, but this, this would indicate that it was not a women's march, but in reality, it was a liberal march for abortion. Many young people were at both marches, but sad to say, the junior high and high school young people who were at the pro-life march now, who believe in pro-life, will not, after they leave and go to state universities where they will be indoctrinated into so-called pro-choice. 
my daughters were there at the pro-life rally and as they were walking and they talked about there's so many young people here, so many young people. And I didn't say this to discourage them, didn't tell them this at all. But, but here's the sad thing. So many of those young people were high school age. And right now in their innocence, they believe that that child should live. But it, when they go to those universities, they're going to go to, uh, they're going to be taught and indoctrinated and programmed over the next four years that pro-choice is the only true way. Now, this statement is important. Regardless of my obvious opinion, the real issue is this God pro-life? Because I'll be honest with you, it doesn't matter what I think either. It's what does God believe? Now, before I begin into this, and, 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 and this is just something I just, I, I, it was just burning my soul, and I told my wife as she was out of town for a couple of days, I, I had to preach this. But here's something that I want you to understand before I begin. I, I've got to state this there. There may be someone here who has had an abortion. This is not a condemnation of the past, but a warning for the future. Please understand this. This is in no way going to condemn anybody. We can't change our past. But we can protect some from the future. Truthfully, research shows that most who have had an abortion were greatly influenced, convinced, or even coerced to have one. And it's often stated that they were misled about the nature of the procedure. So I'm going to say again, what is done cannot be changed, but our God is a loving, forgiving God. And the truth is, as Christians, we must be loving, forgiving people. And we must be willing to take someone who is brokenhearted over their past and help them understand that there's a loving God that has an incredible future for them. Your testimony in life can be a great testimony to others to keep others from the same end. We have a dear friend, and she wrote an article in one of my wife's books. And she writes about the fact of her abortion. And she's a great supporter now and, and great encourager of other people that are facing that dilemma, that choice now. And she helps them through that and helps them understand what you have to deal with emotionally afterwards. Now again, this is not a condemnation of anyone, but rather a warning for those in the future. So I beg you, please take it that way. Is God pro-life? Genesis 3.16 says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, what we're talking about is the child here. From the very first woman, God had a plan, and that was for the woman to bring forth children, not to destroy them. 
And the side note is the sorrow simply means it's a birth, uh, that the birth will come through pain, that the pain, that the, the birth will be painful. That's all it means. And so, uh, but God had a plan. That plan was for a woman to birth children, not to destroy the children. In Genesis 25, 23, it says, speaking of Rebekah, the wife of Isaac, it says, the Lord said unto her, two nations are, are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And God's talking about here that there's twins in Rebekah's womb. But notice again, the scripture is very plain. When God says, listen to this, Two nations are in thy womb. It's already two nations in thy womb. That means two peoples are in thy womb. Not might be if they're not aborted. Not will be when and if they're born. They're in the womb right now. What happens at birth does not make them two nations, but rather at birth two nations will be separated. You see, there's two nations in the womb, and then God says, then when they come forth of the womb, they will be separated. Psalm 22.10 says, I was cast upon thee from the womb. Thou art my God from my mother's belly. Here the psalmist, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, states, Thou art my God from my mother's belly. While in the womb, in the belly, God is his God. That means in order for God to be his God, that person must be a living person. Psalm 71, 6 says, By thee have I been holden up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. My praise shall be continually of thee. Here the psalmist makes it even more clear. He was holden up or sustained while in the womb. He was kept alive while in the womb. And we know this is while in the womb, but listen to this, because in the sequence of events, the next thing that happens is that God took him out of his mother's bowels. Listen to what it says. By thee have I been holding up or sustained up from the womb. Thou art he that took me out of my mother's bowels. Watch. He's sustained in the womb, and then he's going to be taken out. You say, but it says taken out of the bowels. The bowels, uh, by strict definition, when applied to a woman, is talking about the womb. It, it, other terminology, but it's talking about the womb. Ecclesiastes 11.5 as thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. Here the wisest human, and all I'm trying to do right now, folks, is I'm trying to show you just point by point, lay out a foundation proving that God believes that baby in the womb is a living human being. But here the wisest human man that ever lived said, man does not know how the baby grows in the womb. He's, he was saying we really don't comprehend how this works outside of a miracle of God. But the key statement in this passage is God who maketh all. When it says here at the very end, and works of God who maketh all, the whole context is about the baby in the womb, and it's clear that God was the maker, not some natural chemical reaction without God. If the previous verse was not enough, Isaiah will clarify. Isaiah 44, verses 1 and 2. Say, yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen, 
Thus saith the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will, be, which will help thee. The Lord made them and formed them from the womb. This, again, according to the word uses, confirms that God is talking about in the womb, not after the womb. Notice God formed thee. Inside the womb, the child is formed. Outside the womb, he grows. Again, Isaiah 44, 24 reemphasizes this truth. Thus saith the Lord, thy Redeemer, he that formed thee from the womb, I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretches forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself. This brings us to one of the most definitive statements of Scripture. And I want you to listen. If you get no other Scripture, get this one out of Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Listen to this. God says, that baby in the womb, I've already ordained as a prophet to the nations. While he was in the womb. If that's not enough, Hosea makes it clear that birth is at conception. This is the whole debate. Hosea 9-11, as for Ephraim, their glory, now Ephraim's a people, as for Ephraim, their glory shall fly away like a bird. And when is it going to fly away like a bird? From the birth, from the womb, and from the conception. God says, I'm going to take Ephraim's glory away from the very moment they're created. The New Testament states equally as clearly that the baby in the womb is a human life where he must be a living entity, a living human being in order that he be filled with the Holy Ghost. And this happens in the womb. In Luke chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 15, it says, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Now, the Holy Ghost is not going to fill a mass. He's going to fill somebody. Mighty quiet today, folks. It's a, it's a sobering talk though and I understand that and I understand that that this is not a again and I'm not sure I keep saying I don't you know this is not a normal Sunday morning message I'm getting to think that I don't preach normal Sunday morning messages (laughs) I think and I just really struggle with that but the the truth is is that I really understand that 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 we are in a mess in our thinking and too long we have tiptoed behind pulpits to such an extent that people walk in and walk out and are still unsure what does God think. And I believe that it's just crucial that we know what does God say. And, and, and this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to show you this is not my opinion. I'm trying to deliver you scripture that shows you this is what God thinks. Because the truth is, it really I can get up and rant and rave on what Bob Hooker believes, and I can get up and throw a fit about what I believe, but that honestly is almost meaningless unless it's based on the Word of God. 
Further proof that the filling took place in the womb is found in Luke chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. And, and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass, now this Mary entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, listen to this, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. The babe. You understand that? We call it a baby when we hold it in our arms after a child is born. The babe in the, in the, in, in the uh, manger is the babe in the manger. You know what? God called it the babe in the womb. And that babe, John the Baptist, leaped in his mother's womb when he heard about Jesus. I believe it's clear that God considers the babe in the womb a living child, a living human being. Now, what is amazing, and this is the twofold thing I'm trying to do, what is amazing is so does the secular medical world. You say, no, they don't. Oh, yes, they do. They just don't want to admit it. Listen to this. Even though they call this life by another name, they call it a fetus. Even the definition of a fetus, regardless of the name, is a life and a person, a fetus. The developing young in the uterus. The unborn offspring of humans from nine weeks after fertilization until birth. They say this is an unborn offspring of a human from nine weeks, uh, from, from the nine weeks of conception till birth. They at least keep from nine weeks to birth. They say this is an unborn human. Their definition would command them to accept the fact that from nine weeks along till birth, this is a young, unborn human being. Listen to the, what the world's medical profession says about the unborn. The preborn babies here. This is what they teach you. Preborn babies here. Concert going mothers. Listen to this. Concert going mothers report their preborn babies jump at the sudden sound of drums. In fact, listen, in fact, from at least the 23rd week on, 23rd week on, a preborn baby's hearing is developed enough to enable him to respond to outside noise. Babies, and this is amazing, this is a secular world saying this, babies seem agitated by rock music, kicking violently when they hear it, and are calmed down by classical music. This is what the world says. Now, is that a mass? A mass that can be destroyed? This is some, look, when you hear it, you, you react violently to rock music too. Even the five-month-old fetus has been found to, and I'm using the term fetus because they do, has been found to have discriminating musical ears. In one study, kicking babies calmed to the sound of Vivaldi, but became agitated in response to Beethoven. Sound stimulates a six-month-old fetus. Studies also show that a six-month-old fetus can move his body to the rhythm of his mother's speech. Perhaps most astounding, you can bond with your unborn baby. Listen to this, what they say. You can bond with your unborn baby so closely that they can be taught when to kick. Now, 
They call it a fetus because they don't want to call it a baby, but then they get sidetracked in their explanation and call it a baby because it's reacting and responding. Preborn baby makes sense. Not only can a preborn baby react to sound, he or she can perceive different tastes and sights, add sweetener to the amniotic fluid, and he doubles his weight of swallowing. Add a sour substance, and the baby slows his swallowing. Even as early as the fourth month, babies frown, squint, grimace in response to uh, mentally produced outside stimuli. Preborn babies think, they believe, that they even think. Do a pregnant mother's thoughts influence the emotional life of a preborn baby? Prenatal researchers believe that there is indeed some connection between what you think and how your baby feels, and that from six months on, you're able to emotionally bond with your unborn baby. They say to do whatever you can to bond with your unborn baby, to be sure your baby gets the best emotional start. Remember that emotions, positive or negative, are more intense during pregnancy. Resolve stresses quickly in a positive fashion. Listen to this. This is what they tell you to do. Talk to, sing to, and share affectionate thoughts with your baby. You kind of do that with a mass? Why don't they tell you to do that with your songbook? Why don't they tell you to do that with, with the pew? Why don't they tell you to do that with your husband? No, with the... They say sunlight affects your unborn baby. Your baby will open her eyes at about 22 weeks, says Cott, this researcher. At this stage, her eyesight is still very limited, but she'll be able to see bright light of the sun as warm as a warm glow if you take off clothing so that she can. They say your unborn baby can taste what you eat. Uh, the Monell Chemical Senses Research Institute in Philadelphia claims they even develop desires for certain tastes before birth. Science also tells us that although there have been very rare cases of a 21 or 22-week-old surviving at least Uh, At 23 weeks, babies have a 10% chance of survival. At 24 weeks, it jumps to 50 to 70%. Depending on the situation, by 28 weeks, the survival rate is 90%. What research says about the effects of the mother, this is what they say about this fetus, that it can do all these things. That's amazing mass. But let's just... What does the research say? And again, secular research, what do they say about the effects on the mother? They say that emotional and psychological effects following abortion are more common than physical side effects. It can range from mild regret to more serious complications such as depression. The emotional side effects of having an abortion are just as real as physical side effects. This is their statement. And they say that these complications can become fatal complications. Now listen to this. When I read this, I was blown out of the water. Even though most abortion-related deaths are not officially reported as such, legal abortion is reported to be the fifth leading cause of maternal death in America. Fifth leading cause. Government-funded study from Finland showed that women who, are about, who abort are four times more likely to die within a year than women who give birth. And listen to this. 
research says that they are seven times more likely to commit suicide. Not only that, cancer. Brind is a, is a research and fellow researchers concluded that women who aborted their first pregnancies faced a 30 to 50% higher risk of breast cancer. And this increases with the number of abortions that a woman has. The risk to future pregnancy. Studies indicate that for healthy women, the risk of con contracting certain problems during pregnancy and delivery are actually reduced with each subsequent pregnancy. Women who aborted their first pregnancy actually had an increased risk of complications in later pregnancies, including fetal loss. Self-destructive behavior after an abortion. Abortion often leaves them feeling feelings of self-hatred, isolation, and regret. Now, this study also says that some feel a, a feeling of relief. And when you read their testimony, while they feel relieved is now they can finish their degree, now they can finish, continue their career, now they can continue to have the things that they want to have. A recent Elliott Institute study found that women who had abortions were five times more likely to abuse drugs or alcohol than women who carried to term. The Elliott Institute studied California women for up to six years after childbirth or abortion and found that those who aborted had significantly higher mental health claims than women who carried them to term. A Danish study found that overall women with a history of abortion had 50% higher rate of admission to psychiatric hospitals than women who had live-born children. This is pretty tough stuff. Finally, what does God say about the end of abortion? Well, God describes it in a unique way. He says this, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of the children of Ammon, and for four I will not turn away the punishment thereof. And why will he not turn away the punishment? Because they have ripped up the women with child of Gilead. They murdered the babies in the womb. And God says, I won't turn away punishment. So let's look at what we've just studied. Number one, God says the baby is a living person. I think it's clear from, his, from the word of God. Number two, the medical profession states they hear, feel, and understand while all the while calling the baby a fetus. Number three, the fetus in its definition is an unborn offspring. Number four, science research states that a baby can live outside the womb as early as 21 weeks of development. One has. Statistical information shows there is a negative emotional and psychological effect on a woman who has had an abortion. Number six, God will judge a people who kill the baby in the womb. So why then do some believe in abortion? Virtually every positive testimony about abortion dealt with someone being free from responsibility to have what they considered a better, more enjoyable life. Why then do some believe in abortion? One man responded to me this way when I wrote an article about this issue some time ago. He responded to me this way when I, when I wrote it. He said, thanks for the conservative 
perspective, Robert. On the other hand, children have a right to be born to a mother who wants them and who can support their growth. Forcing unwilling women to be mothers harms both the spirit in development and the mother herself. I'm not saying that this is not true, that a a woman who doesn't want her child, does that harm the child and the mother? Probably does. I would say there's a lot of other options than abortion. But I'd like to say this, what really harms the child and the mother more? To birth an unwanted child or to murder the child in the womb? I would say that probably affects the child a little more. And truthfully, it affects the mother more. So what are we as Christians of America going to do? What are we going to do? And I'll be honest with you, here's where most churches today, and can I just testify? I've never heard a message like this in a church service. Never have. And it might be why then that many of our children of our churches will end up being swayed by peers, be swayed by leadership to have an abortion. At some point, we've just got to face the hard issues, and we've got to face them with Scripture, not opinion. I hope you notice that I've tried my best not to get up here and stomp and spit and throw a fit. That's not, that's not what I want to do right now. I wanted to show you, one, what God says. That's the most important. That's why we dealt with it first, what God says. Number two, what the world says about the, that baby in the womb. Number three, what's the consequences? Even physical, emotional consequences. And what are God's consequences? But are we going to teach our children so that they will never be swayed by the world's philosophies? If we are, we've got to deal with the hard things sometimes. We've got to look at this straight on and say, you know what? This is what God says. And whether it's convenient or not convenient, they're here now. And can I tell you, one little girl wrote this in, in, on, on a Facebook post, uh, Heidi Haynes is a friend of, our, friend of ours, and she wrote, she's, she wrote a little letter to, to, to the president and said, President, uh, you know, uh, why is it that the government will pay for them to, to destroy the baby, but people like us who want to adopt the baby have to pay ten, twelve thousand dollars $12,000? Why won't we do something a little different? Look, if there's a baby and somebody wants to love it, let's make it a little easier for them. Because there are a lot of other options other than just the easy way. And sadly, it's really not the easy way. It's the same old thing that Satan does. He presents it as an easy way to just Clear out all your responsibilities to take this burden off of you. You're set free now, and, and Satan is lying because you are not set free. You are now captive. He's got you. 
And there's somebody in here, some lady in here that you could testify right now that the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God is what's brought you to this point. But you still have to say, dear God, cleanse it from my system because this hurts. The memory of what's happened hurts. Are we going to teach our children that life is not all about them? I just want to tell you, this is what I'm trying to do today. I'm preaching for our nation. I was preaching today for for our families. Preaching for our children. But truthfully, preaching for the future of our nation because what we have done and nearly 60 million babies have been killed. I was listening this morning to the scripture as I do in the morning. I turn it on and listen while I'm getting ready. Happened to be in Jeremiah. It's one of the two books that says this over and over. And he says, God keeps saying, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? And I thank God. Judgment, there's every right of judgment on our nation because God hates this as much as he hates anything. It's the innocent child, the innocent one. You know, the only one that's just totally, completely innocent is a babe in the womb, totally innocent. And God says he'll judge. So what can we do? We can do what we can do. We can teach our children. We can stand for right. We can believe God. We can love each other. And we can help each other through whatever's happened in the past. And I want to say this one more time. There should be nobody, and I beg you, nobody in this room feel like anybody is condemning you I'm trying to keep it from happening to our young ones. I'm saying this to spare them from the hurt and the anguish. Is God pro-life? Yes, I believe he is from his own word. And since he never changes, I believe he always will be. Father, I pray that you bless our Lord. I ask you, please, Holy Spirit, that you would move through this room and help us, Lord. Help us to understand, honestly, my heart in doing this. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm not trying to discourage anybody. I'm not trying to push my agenda. Lord, I'm simply trying to give your word, your truth. It's what you said, and dear God, we've got to believe that we have the Word of God. And if it is the Word of God, then we've got to believe it as such, and we've got to trust it as such, and we've got to depend on it and accept it. And Lord, this is what you said. And Father, I ask you this morning that you might touch hearts of families here. And there may be families who gather together with their sons and daughters and come to an altar and say, you know, 
we're going to do even more of a study on the Word of God, a study about this thing called pro-life, pro-choice. What does it really mean? What does it really mean to, to take the life of a baby in the womb? What does that really mean? And, and, and we're going to search it, and we're going to commit to knowing what does God think more than just because we've been told to believe a certain way. And Father, I pray that you'd touch us and help us. And Lord, if there's somebody in here